We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 359 of the Win and Six podcast, proudly a part of the Eurostep podcast network and the Blue Wire podcast family. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Yeah, yeah, same. It's good, good to hear you're doing well. <laughs> uh, I'm also doing well. The books... Hmm. Books are doing so-so, I think would be the way to put it, um, since we last recorded. Up and down week, kind of in the extremes too. Um, bad losses to the Nuggets and the Cavs. Um, a good win-ish. Spells of it were certainly very good against the Knicks, and then there were some parts that weren't so great either. Um, but overall, the books continue to find themselves as they have been for a last year episode, just kind of mired in this absolute dogfight for one through six in the Eastern Conference. It's all up in the air. It's entirely plausible that by the time the playoffs are all around, the books could have finished in any one of those spots right now. There is a little bit of a gap back to the Hornets in seven, so it seems like. Yeah, that's that's one thing. That's a good thing that the playing game may not be something we have to worry too much about. But it's entirely up for grabs. The books are going to be the one seed, but they're going to have to figure some some stuff out if that's to be the case, right, Jordan? Yes, stuff out, get out of this. It's not, I don't know if it would be a slump, but it's it's obviously a one of the more treacherous stretches that we've seen the books have under bud ever so yeah just very uneven 
choppy waters. We're we're all figuring it out. I mean, they have uh, at the moment they've won four of their last six. If we want to look at their most recent spells, and their their losses have come to good to very good teams, and in the Cavs yeah. and the Nuggets and that spell. Obviously, if we zoom out a little bit further, they had that run where it was only two wins and eight, and um, right around the turn of the year, which that that was the real problem spell. I mean, when when you look at the East the way it is, I think it just speaks to the books are certainly not alone in this. It's it's reflective more so in the East than the West, and I don't quite know why that is, but I think of how the season has played out to date. A lot of good teams, no one really able to find consistency through you know a variety of obvious factors as much as anything else. But I I don't know. Are you concerned about what you're seeing from the books? Or I guess we've just crossed over into the month of February. So if we want to take in the awful start to 2022 they had and then finishing with a couple not-so-pretty losses, are you concerned in a bigger picture sense about what the books showed in January? Um, there's elements to it that are somewhat alarming, I would say. I think a team like the Cavs um, or a game like the Cavs against the Cavs where Cavaliers shoot, it was a similar recipe to the Nuggets game where Cavs and Nuggets shoot the lights out. Bucks start decently hot and then just kind of trail off and stuff like that. And Some of that was certainly attributed to play on the road against Cleveland and they're, you know, in a bit of a hot stretch. Um, also shot the ball particularly badly so if from that standpoint if the other if the opposing team is shooting the ball well and you're shooting the ball badly it's pretty hard to especially Denver I mean they they could have beaten any team on the floor it, they were just in a zone that very few teams were in that I've seen <laughs> um, in the, for a regular season game but um, I do think there is something of like there was a lack of urgency coming out of the second half or going into the second half against Denver. Um, kind of the same thing with Cleveland too. It just kind of slipped away from their hands and it wasn't necessarily, I don't know. It was just, it was just precipitous. There wasn't any like one thing that just kind of like happened that made it very stark and clear, but it was just, you know, they just, for a reason, the Bucks didn't have it clicking that night. I know they, had made comments about some interesting comments after both losses, um, both Giannis and then Drew more so in the Nuggets game, kind of, you know, critiquing the defense, critiquing, you know, the intensity level, effort level, all that stuff that, you know, they can control. Um, was out of curiosity, what for you was the interesting Giannis thing after the Cavs game? Was it, you're saying for Giannis, was that when he was eating Yeah, because that was when he was like, like eating chicken sucks. wings. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that that's interesting too, and I mean, Giannis is playing really well. So let's get that there up front. Yes. I, I don't want this to be mistaken. His demeanor on the court feels different, and his demeanor on the court and saying that is completely in step with the rest of his teammates. And this feeds into some of what we talked about last year or last last week, even. Um, in the idea that maybe Brooke is coming back soon and some of the value of what Brooke brings. 
the books do not look as engaged as basically any team they play. Um, they do not look like they're enjoying it as much as any team they play. Like something which has kind of been a staple in recent years just doesn't seem to be there. Like we all know this is a grind, but the books actually look when they're out there like they're feeling it. Like they feel like it is a grind. That's kind of understandable. And it's it's some of what we expected going into the season too, in terms of we talked a lot about, you know, the potential for a championship hangover. Um, what does it mean even more so than your failures and you're just trying to get back to the playoffs to to right those wrongs? Well, what does it mean when you've actually won it all and what you want to do is win it again, but you've got to go through months and months to have the chance to do that? That's a tricky game. It's a tricky balance. It's not something that only the books have experienced. It's pretty common for champions. But that is something I'm kind of seeing. And I did just think that Giannis, like, obviously it goes viral for different reasons because it's, like, endearing and it's funny. But just in a sense of the way he usually is and the way the books are, I did feel it was different and very much in line with how they look like a different team and their vibe feels a little bit different when you watch them at the moment. Yeah, I think it was... I was more interested in what, I mean, this is maybe one of the bigger questions for me going into, into the season is that because things have changed so dramatically in terms of how they approach the season, in part because of, you know, the first two years under Bud, and then you win it all last year, and you kind of like, oh, we'll take a similar approach, always kind of like bird's eye level. But like, what does it look like when, you know, they go through a stretch like this. It's like, oh, this is how it is. And it's just kind of, it's funny to see how each player kind of reacts to it. If that makes sense? Because it's like, yeah, the, you know, Bobby Portis feels like he's playing with more like intensity and trying to kind of conjure up those like, hey, let's like, let's get it going. Let's wake up kind of, you know. Well, he's, he's got a, he's got a contract to play for. He's exactly. also part of you know the story there um but like Giannis is playing as good as he's played I mean it's Giannis <laughs> he's consistently great but like Drew's doing fast like you can look at these individual pieces but it's different right I, I'm not alone in seeing not, that as in like Giannis is, his contributions and the way he's kind of impacting games is similar but it looks and feels different. It's not necessarily at the same speed. It's not always kind of accompanied by the same emotion. Part of this is just, as I said, it's natural because you realize, oh, well, the feeling I'm actually chasing is much greater. And that comes down the line. You know, I've now tasted that. But I, I do think it is noticeable in being different. And maybe this is a year of adjustment for them on that front. The other thing I was thinking about, too, in my usual weekly binge of books games through a podcast was I don't know if this team has enough new hungry players in the mix. I oh. don't think so. I like because that's the you just if there was a couple of guys with a certain type of personality who weren't there last year and they've heard about it and they could be the people like Bobby would be perfect if Bobby hadn't won a championship, you know, 
um, as in just for being the spark that's going to get everyone kind of going to keep everyone on message and keep them motivated like particularly maybe coming out at halftime more on that in, in a few minutes we'll get into that but I, that's what I was thinking about so you've got these kind of players like yeah Wes Matthews wants a championship before he retires George Hill wants a championship before he retires they're kind of like um, their personality is not to go and energize that in a way that's completely kind of it's also they've been here they've been on good teams That's, before yes and so there's familiarity there too the only... there's no fresh dynamic there so you've got like grayson and i just don't think that's his personality by all accounts as much as i'm sure he wants to win a also, championship i mean he's coming off of this international well, he, incident too yeah he's got <laughs> he's had a couple, tough couple of weeks kind of uh, just probably to be grayson allen but even over the course of the season, like if you zoom out, you've got Grayson, who obviously comes to Milwaukee and wants to win a championship now. But I don't know if he's the guy who's going to be able to kind of. He certainly it's also not come the across. Role. I mean, we're kind of beating around the bush, but it's it's you're missing a PJ Tucker like. I, I, honestly, I wasn't I wasn't thinking of that, but yeah, that is true. The kind of spirited intense guy that just sets the tone because I think that was also part of their calculus and thinking that, you know, we can move on from PJ is that, Oh, okay. Now we won a championship. We kind of can set that tone ourselves. We don't necessarily need someone to bring in someone like PJ and do it for us. Um, but even right, and this is kind of what I'm interested in, and it is interesting and coming up to the trade deadline and whether they make a move or not, or whether they should make a move. Like with PJ, if they'd re-signed PJ, is PJ still does he have the influence he had last year in that way? Or is he part of this too? Like he's finally got his championship. There's there's no way of knowing that. Like I'm I look at the books and I see a really good team. And it's just about, are they going to click at the right time? Are they going to click at the right time? Do they need to do more on the way in for the regular season? Can they turn it on? Or are they going to be one of those teams? Is that With a thing that's really possible? Like, we don't have the answers to that. But generally, when I look at it, I see a pretty set rotation that I struggle to see them finding too many players that are going to be attainable whether it's buyout or whether it's trades with the limited assets they have to come in and crash into that and to really disrupt that and play a part. Yes, the, the best reason maybe to, to try and find a trade is to bring someone different into this locker room who is going to speak up and have a voice and is going to want this really, really badly and is going to remind everyone else what that feels like and make sure they get back to the place of wanting it again. I don't want to do this, but like, I think Boogie would have been closer to someone who, at this point, like real multiple chips on his shoulder, right? Something to yeah. prove. And I do think it's it's flattened out. You've got a lot of guys who, to me, feel content. You've got a lot of guys who, towards the back half of the bench, I think are going nowhere. I, I don't mean that in a literal sense. Maybe it would be good if they could go somewhere else to another city at another team. But 
I think in a career sense, stagnating, possibly slipping into decline. But there's just there's maybe some ingredient, one player, one personality missing. That's just gonna shake things up a little bit, bring a fresh voice into proceedings. Because as much as continuity is a positive and that can work in their favor, and we've talked continuity and people have talked up the book's continuity over the years, there is also a definite advantage at times to having the right new edition come in and shake things up. And even like, I think Drew was evidence of that in terms of when he came in and the books were already pretty far along a journey of being like a contender or trying to figure that out. And then you've got just a fresh style of play, a fresh player in the mix, a fresh voice in the locker room. And that helps you to get over there. Like it's something that it's hard for us to quantify from the outside. We can point to the really obvious differences between drew holiday and eric bledsoe as players but there's also (laughs) something to be said for the fact that he's just someone different you know with that core of guys and it's not at a point where it's like oh this is stale you need to make major moves you need to blow it up but i do think it's something that in a calculated way they're gonna kind of have to find the right guy year to year to come in and just bring a different energy and remind everyone what this is all about. I mean, I, I have no doubt that as the playoffs get closer, like Giannis will be that guy at this point. He's not going to be in kind of cruise control or let his teammates coast as you get right up to the playoffs where then it's all going to be about championships again. But right now, there's something there that it's not. it doesn't have to be like a major thing. It's It's not something that I think is... Like, oh, well, they're, they're definitely gone in the wrong way. Their season isn't looking like it will be what it could be. But it is a little concerning when you watch them. Is it just, it feels flat. And that's yeah. not something I really associate with Bud's books teams over the past few years. No. Um, and when I was the other day after, you know, they just got their butts kicked by Denver <laughs> pretty handily. Um, I did some digging, and after 52 games last year, the Bucks were 32 and 20, and this year they're 31 and 21. Net rating, I think, is very different. It was like 5.8 last year, and this year it's 2.9 or something. 2.9, so basically cut in half. And when you factor in all the injuries and obviously absences and stuff like that, it's like I like there's like so many ways you could take or look at that and it's like oh it's kind of impressive that they've won that many considering they have been without all their core pieces at various points of time obviously for, for all but one game um you know we have never really seen the bucks go through this kind of injury in a long time long time um but even so like it does like kind of like harken back to like how it was a little bit when the Bucks, how the Bucks were at times before they got PJ. Like it wasn't like a panacea last year where they, you know, it was, I think recalibrated expectations, but there was also that urgency of like, okay, they have to win it. Like if it doesn't result in a championship this year, and that's obviously papered over this kind of, you know, um, the effort and or not effort but like the energy level 
and all the stuff energy that we're and effort. Now. Energy and effort, yes. Are Paying off with. at West all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, the one thing with that, though, is like there is no difference really to to where the books were in terms of the regular season as a as a prospect for them last year and this year because they had done the oh we're the destroyer of worlds in the regular season thing yeah and i guess just the desire to do that or the need to do that had worn off and last year was yeah we just need to get to the playoffs and then we need to do it we need to be better 82 games is a long time so pj coming in not only gives them a a different type of player and a key matchup option, which proved decisive and helped them to win the championship. But it did freshen things up. I just, I don't know. I don't want to tip our hand because I think we're going to have a crossover pod or we've at least got one planned later in the week where we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about trade deadline. Um, I, I don't know what or who is out there that you can kind of replicate. Again, not PJ Tucker, the player, but even just somewhat it's the, the effect. But they need to, that's what they need to look for, if anything. Yeah. And that's tough because I do think they have positional need at the moment too, more so than they probably had last year. Yes. And yeah, only they know from the inside if there's any kind of difference in that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Just on the on the tree, the games, and I mean, again, I've, I've been... Uh, pretty transparent about this RSU pods. I'm I'm just not watching games live. 
if I'm awake, I'm doing something else. I have no need to watch them live. I'll watch them um, after the fact when timeouts have been edited out on League Pass. I could save myself some time. I see the tweets, though, and I see the way people are feeling during games, and I, I see the way it's kind of broken down. I think, for example, the Nuggets game. First and foremost, uh, Nikola Jokic is amazing. He is amazing. He is, like, by far and has been for years, my favorite Don Book in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, was it the – I think it was the Knicks game. Was it Stephen Bardo who was on? It was Stephen Bardo. Was – he was I, – I missed at the start where it came from. He was relaying this piece of information. You know where I'm going with this? Uh, I think it was an NBA TV thing where they were talking about Joel Embiid as the most skilled center in NBA history. Just a pause to let that set in for a second. Um, without getting into actually the historical of that and making this a conversation about Kareem and Wilt, I was just like, Joel Embiid is not the most skilled center in the NBA right now. Like, he's great. And on certain days, there's a case to make for him being the best center in the NBA. But in terms of skill, Nikola Jokic is the most skilled. He is yeah. right up there with the most skilled player, period. Like, for his position, the range of things he can do are completely just on another level. But that game obviously finishes really ugly for the books. Are we surprised? No. Like, they have no they have no actual center at the moment. And we all know this is a problem. We talk about it. And then... I think what, we talk about it. I think, like... Are other people just pretending still that, like, Bobby is, is capable of this and that this is a way you can win a championship? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm still kind of... Again, I, I'm in and out of Twitter land because yeah, because of work stuff. too. You're work. yeah, you're not the so same. both coming in from the outside into the inside, and it's like the kind of like the memory. We're, loss we're in the like, bubble. Oh yeah, in the vacuum. We're not. We're, yeah, <laughs> they don't have their starting center. How many times do we like? Do we have to like kind of like wrap our heads around? But it, it's not even that. It's like Brooke is like this hulking figure. He's like this yes. behemoth of a man. And you you watch Nikola Jokic, who's like one of the most imposing physical presences, if not the most, in the entire NBA. And even more dangerous because of how he uses his frame and because of his vision. It's not like, oh, well, you just have to worry about this guy kind of, you know, backing you down, knocking you out of the way and finishing. It's like, no, no, he's just going to hold his own against you and his head's going to be on a swivel. And he's going to pick you apart, which I don't think is unrelated to the Nuggets having a scorching shooting night and tearing the books apart like that. It's because the books have no answer for Jokic. You can't bother Jokic. Now, they tried some things with Jokic that I don't know if that would be my approach. But at the same time, I kind of look at it and I'm like, if the books don't have Brook Lopez, they're not equipped to deal with Nikola Jokic right now because like comedically almost a couple of cases like Jokic was just screening Bobby out of plays and then there'd be a handoff and he'll get it back and he'll make whatever decision he wants and it's an easy nugget score and it's like 
it's not that Bobby didn't want it. There's probably a couple of occasions where he let it happen too easily. I would guess maybe by due to being demoralized as much as anything else at the challenge of that. But it's like for for as good a season as Bobby is having, he's having a great season. The limitations that kept him off the floor against the Nets last year still exists. And the reasons why he hasn't been able to kind of pave a, a career path for himself as like maybe elites pushing it too far, but something not too far below that as a center, like are still evident too. This is a guy who was always dubbed as a tweener. And maybe three or four years ago, like this version of Bobby with this maturity and this game rounded out with the way the NBA was trending at that point, you could probably have a better chance of him being your center and not working out fine. Multiple of the very best players in the league are centers. Like, and even in the Eastern conference, just like the sheer physicality and the size you're going to come up against against a lot of these top teams. Like there's only a couple of exceptions he don't really have any like Bam. Bam is fine. Bam is a power forward, so Giannis can guard him. Portis can guard him. He is though. I'm not. I'm not even saying it to disparage him. Like he's a very good player, but he's not a center. Center. He's not an imposing figure. Um, the Nets obviously they have that issue too. But then you know you look at you look at the big ball Cavs who also beat the books this week. Yep. And it's like, that's a problem for the books. That's an issue. Um, it's an issue that could easily be rectified in like three weeks, a month, two months, three months, whenever it might be that Brooke Lopez comes back. But it's just there, like in front of our eyes in a really fundamental sense. And if you come up against a guy who's got like a, almost as valid a claim as Giannis for being the best player in the NBA, in Jokic, and you're roster that is out there is set up in a way that's like designed for him to exploit it's what do you expect and the nuggets picked that apart like i, I think that's a tough spot the books are putting bobby and Giannis in and physically as we've kind of expressed concern about from early in the season i don't know will that have a cumulative effect anyway just in terms of where and whether they're more fatigued than it might be otherwise come the end of the year. But it's not ideal from a basketball standpoint. And there are certain matchups where the books have just much less margin for error. And I feel like there are things like the Nuggets shooting where it would be easy to kind of reflect on that game and be like, oh, the Nuggets torched the books. And that is ultimately the biggest difference maker. And for me, it's you look at how the Nuggets got a lot of those shots it's inside out and it's yeah. it's Jokic completely controlling the game because the books had no answer for him in any department. A lot of mid post spraying passes out to the corners. I mean, that was evident from the start of the game. Like there, it just pretty was obvious. I mean, like it, to this point, like, and talk of positional need, like Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report reported last week that they're still looking around for big men. And you know, like it's stuff like that where it's so obvious. Do they get that player that they're identifying, whether it's trade, whether it's buyout, whatever the case may be? Like, that's where talking about trying to get this, like, kind of PJ Tucker light 
guy or this kind of multi-positional defender that could kind of, you know, come in and do his job and kind of just slot in. It's like at a certain point, like they're going to come up against this deadline, whether it's the trade deadline or, you know, at some point in the season where they may ask, is it worth like just keep, you know, just having Brooke come back and just thinking everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be kind of click into place as it would normally, or that's the kind of things that are just really, I think it's tougher for them to project this year more this year than any other year, because we we still don't know what's going on, Brooke. But they yeah. have they have information. Oh so yeah, clear. it's not as tough for them to project as I think. Often when we think about it, we feel it is because we have zero information. Yes. but they have a clearer sense, and obviously we know he is doing some work. Like he he is close now. That's close in a relative sense, you know, close compared to where he was a few months ago. But it remains to be seen what that means. But I I do think the thing that like. And maybe it's just a case of, you know, you can't go and and I've talked to this and I'm certainly, I'm not opposed to John Horst factoring this in a little bit more frequently. For example, with the way the books look right now, I don't know if this is a year where you're like, you're going out of your way to push any remaining chips you have into the middle of the table and like making it tougher that if you you look better and you've got a more normal season next year that you've got less tools to work with. Say for Dante. Yeah, well, this is not a chip. I mean, <laughs> seriously, nobody it's wants something them. more than they. I mean, they don't have a lot, but they won't. They won't have that next year. Is a, yeah. a different issue. But if you're a horse and you're looking and you're like, we want to try and win this year, how can you be looking at like the Sixers rising and Embiid just having a greater and greater impact, and be having anything other than like nightmares over the prospect of the books playing the Sixers? Because they will need Brooke Lopez to be good, to have any chance of that series. Not just to be healthy, to be good. And that's fine. And I mean, I I think that's a general thing. Like, it's last year, the books needed their best players to be good to win a championship. It's something you kind of assume. But the problem is they don't even have, like, an inferior player who can just replicate some of the physical elements of that and free up other players to play different There's no positions. Tyler Zeller. So Robin Lopez is honestly no. one way to go from a couple of years ago. Yeah. And you know, and it goes it does go back to, but when they decided to move on from Boogie, one of the conversations we had was look around here. There are not many like big man out there like options with legitimate size and strength like if if this is a matter of trying to find the perfect bench big you may end up with no one if you're turning your nose up at demarcus cousins particularly after he made a relatively positive impact for the books in his time on the court whether there's other stuff in that i don't care i i think just for the the point of this conversation it's it's really about they need a big and they had someone who I think may be a better basketball fit than anything they could yet find. And with that in mind, when you move on from, from Boogie, and if they moved on at that time being like, okay, we still need a big, and let's say we're going to see them make a move, 
they really better have had the right target. <laughs> they better they better have someone in mind and they they really I hope they felt confident in that. Oh, this person is gettable and it's gettable, you know, at a price that we can afford. Because otherwise that's that's where my bigger concerns, rather than anything like we're seeing in the kind of the small kind of nitty-gritty of games to games at the moment. It's the thing that's been an issue since game two when all of a sudden Brooke isn't healthy to go and has been there throughout the season. And you can't it's, ignore it. No, you can't ignore it. And it is also, it's my concern more than anything is it's going to be unfair on Brooke and it sets Brooke up to be a fall guy and a scapegoat if he comes back and he's not 100%. Like you're putting a lot more pressure than you'd ideally want to put on him by not having someone who can even just like give like relief minutes <laughs> at that position because it, it's fine to be like oh well Bobby can play the five and Giannis can play the five and all of that is true and the books are still a good team doing that but there are certain matchups that just is it's not also, gonna work yeah and it's I don't know like this is kind of it kind of goes back to like when the Warriors unleash the small ball lineup and it you know, catapults them to this, to their first finals or championship run in 2015. And there's always this talk of like, well, why don't they just run that all the time? Yeah. And it's like, it's like well, no, it, it made sense with Bogan and it made sense with going to it like in fourth quarters. Yes. And that conversation has always existed with, in, with the Bucks, especially as Giannis has gotten better and just you know became Giannis, and it's like, well, why don't they play Giannis at center more? And it's like, well, there's a limit to it. <laughs> there's a limit to every everything that you can do. That's why versatility is key. It's why it's no surprise that when the Bucks veered away from their system and at, tried to do things differently, it resulted in a championship. There was certainly some some. It was a you know uh, a path paved with gold <laughs> by any means, but it's versatility is the name of the game now, and going with one way specifically, whether it's due to personnel, whether it's due to you know the kind of system that you want to run, all that stuff. Like if you just play that way or one way all the time, it's eventually going to get figured out and cracked, and you're going to have to go back to the drawing board and just, you know, figure out something else. So, like, I think more so, we're not seeing the limits to the Bucks system this time around, obviously. It's more of the personnel. Does the personnel meet the way that they're playing? And yeah. it's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, we're not we're not seeing the system they've played in other years, too, because they don't have the personnel to run that. That's the yes. other side with drop. Yeah. But this version of the Bucks is it, good. There's no mistaking that. It's, you know, even with this period of just kind of like, ugh, you know, basketball. But it doesn't, it, it's not the best version of them, clearly. And whether, you know, we hope for a miraculous Brooke Ro- Lopez return in March or... I hope just, and pray every single day, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> if that unlocks them, that's great. But eventually the they're going to have the rock and the hard place is getting inching closer and closer to one another and then they're going to have to try to find an answer and maybe it's just 
it ends in a way where we're just like, well, this is the problem that has been all season long. And it's so surprised that it would eventually lead to their demise if they get knocked out in the second round or whatever the case may be. The, the thing for me about small ball, about five out lineups, I don't know if this is an original thought. I'm going to assume it's not. Most things are not original thoughts, but I, I don't think I've ever really heard this discussed this way. But with some hindsight, and as we get something of a remove from that whole phenomenon in the NBA, like I, I think it's it's worthwhile as a thought exercise in trying to figure out like the utility of that style of play still in the NBA now to work out was that was that like an innovation by design? Was that the next great basketball idea that led to that? Or was that a more reactive thing that had success because that was actually just a really bad spell of a few years for big men in the NBA. And I think now when you think back on it too, and it's like post kind of Orlando Dwight, true to some of the bigs who've come to define the league in recent years, like that was not anywhere near a golden era for NBA centers. And I think part of that then factors into, oh, small ball's the way to go. And this is how, like, the thing with the NBA is always it's about the talent that's there. And it's it's a limited pool by design. Like, you're relying on the draft and you're relying on what you're doing. Technically, you've got the whole world to pick from. But I all I always wonder, just does it work out like that? Like, in the same way that in soccer, if you need a midfielder or you need a striker, you could find one somewhere. And maybe yeah. there is someone with the right environment that it comes out. Basketball just is not quite as open as that. And it will lead to spells where you kind of look around and you're like, hmm, centers aren't very good right now. And I don't know. I'm trying to think too. Can you think of like great centers from that, that spell? Time? So you're, you're talking really like it's post Shaq. It's middle stages of Dwight's career like standing out to me Roy Hibbert was an all-star starter on the Eastern Conference I was gonna say, he, there's a flash of the pan with him someone like um, I, I watched an awful lot of Atlanta Hawks basketball and Al Horford was definitely one of the best centers in the NBA and really for a lot of the time the conversation was kind of like he is really kind of a power Andrew forward Jordan, though like DeMarcus Drummond that's when he kind of these are all they're not good players in like Marcusall. Marcusall, maybe. I'm looking at I'm looking at all NBA teams through the this period. Like that's a grim list when Tim Duncan's getting all NBA nods. Pog, late stage uh, Pogasol, Joakim Noah. Like but even all of those players, the thing with them is like Noah, Marcusall, like have major limitations to their game. They are not like take over a game centers of what came before and of now what we're seeing again with like Embiid and Jokic. Uh, like I, I do think that is something that shouldn't really be kind of just dismissed and thinking about that era and thinking again about, you know, the value of small ball where it comes in. And I know I say this from my uh, well-established position as, you know, Mr. Big Guys. But I, I still believe like that is fundamental to how good basketball is played. Yes. Like, I, I do it's think if you've got a case, it's the origins of the NBA. 
Yeah, it has. And I mean, there's very simple reasons and there's very complex reasons in terms of how an offense and a defense functions. But I do think when you're watching a team that doesn't have that, and this is not to say the books aren't a small team, like you've got two 6'11 guys, but there is a body type and there's a personality type that is different. And it isn't what the books have with Bobby Portis and Giannis right now. It just makes them more vulnerable. Doesn't yeah. mean that can't work and that they can't beat any team on their day or that maybe they couldn't win some series in the playoffs or go win a championship again. But I, I do think it makes them more vulnerable kind of right at the front than what they had last year. Like last year, we knew that, okay, well, <laughs> the depth here is not up to much. But uh, I think we all kind of had pretty close to supreme confidence in what the book's best five or best six players would be and what you could get out of them. With the current construction of starting well, lineup, they're they already good players, but <laughs> there are visible chinks in the armor already is, yeah. is how I would put that compared to when Brooke was there. Again, let's hope Brooke comes back and looks good and it stays healthy and it solves a lot of that. But that would absolutely be where my mind was at right now if I was John Horse. Yeah. Um, okay, let's pivot a little we talked about those games. We talked about those losses, and it's not a revelation to anyone who's been watching the books recently. They're a third quarter disaster, an absolute disaster. It's not just a new thing either. I mean, it's kind of tracking up over the course of the season. Um, they are, I believe they're fifth for first quarter net rating, second for second quarter net rating. Um, they're seventh worst for third quarter net rating, and then they're 15th, 16th um, in the fourth. Fourth is neutral, and then massive positives for both quarters in the first half. And in the third quarter, I don't, do you know the number offhand? Do you want to guess what the book is? It's something rating? like six. Maybe six something. Yeah, they're getting outscored by 6.4 points per 100 possessions in third quarters, which is just not good. And um, we talk about their net rating overall, and you talk about it kind of being halved even on where it was last year. And you look at their differential, which was something that last year they ran off just ridiculous differentials, and they really have for a few years. And all of that disappears because they're not showing up in the third quarter. And part of that too, then, it's like a game like the Knicks where it started really well, and there was some really good first-half stuff. Like, they looked, they looked in good shape, although I, they gave up quite a lot of points in the first half which is an ideal it always felt like a game that was in hand but there were some moments where that got closer than you'd want it to be and it's again because they're terrible in the third quarter i can't imagine that this isn't like there's no way that with everything that the coaching staff have at their disposal that this isn't like their primary focus right now that this isn't every half time it's like working as hard as you can to get guys to go up and show show up in the third quarter and play it like it's the first quarter. But what do you think they can do about this? Um, lobby to the league to not have half times. <laughs> Keep playing the game for play full. just two quarter games. Not even just, just play be, all be three better. minutes within. So you have quarters, but you just it's we just, just call them halves. Yeah. Two halves of twelve minutes. Yeah. It's an innovative new format. You know, I'm just putting it out there. We'll all look. 
I'd watch games live if they were that quick. Saves us all <laughs> a lot of time, you know. You could have four or five nationally televised games a night. Everyone's a winner. Um... Particularly the books, because they don't have to play third quarters. I don't know. I don't know. This is the you I think too, like they've usually been better in weirdly enough, I remember it was Bud's second year, their third quarters are maybe they're like the best. Which is strange. There was a there was another Bud year where we had this, and this was definitely an issue under kid though. Like this yeah. is not this is not something that is entirely new for the books. We've seen the whole not showing up for third quarters thing before. Um, last ten games. And this is where it gets really fun. Oh God! Um, they're the worst in the NBA. Woo! Any idea what their net rating is for third quarters um, over the last ten games? It's where I mean the Nuggets and Cavaliers game certainly uh, exaggerates it, but I'll probably say like twenty. Uh, they are being outscored by twenty-seven point five oh, points. My Lord. <laughs> 100 possessions in the third quarter over the last 10 games. So, honestly, impressive. It is. They're five and five in that time, which is. And they're five. You know, maybe we should be we should be talking this team up, being yeah. like, oh, they're they're not even playing they're just a, a couple single quarter. quarters away from being thirty-eight or whatever. Do they? Would they be better off just not sending players out for the third quarter, coming back out for the fourth? Based on those numbers, it kind of seems like that is what they're doing. But, yeah, the buzzer sounds at the end of the second quarter. Like, where's everybody going? Let's keep playing. Let's go. No no rest for the wicked, right? Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't <laughs> have a solution to this. And I think everyone knows it already. But I just thought, I took a look and I was like, everyone knows this is bad, but just how bad? I don't know if that's clear. Um, that is a simple, like, focus and motivation thing, though. It's like, if you're... Showing up and being competitive again the fourth, and you're actually winning first and second quarters pretty well. If that's what you're doing in the third, like that's a that's a mental issue. Yeah, gotta rectify that. Again, if they rectify that, then you're the whole conversation changes because we could probably overlook some other things. Because as we've seen in the past, it's like the books have the last few years they've always had some sort of problem. Like some sort of issue. They've never been the perfect team, it feels like. And yet we'd find ourselves being like, they're so good though, what they're good at, that it actually doesn't matter. Like if they do that well, they'll just beat anyone. Like that yeah. was the story, the regular season successes, and that was even the story in the postseason last year. It's like if they can lock in on these certain elements where they really have complete control, no one's going to be able to do too much about it. All right, Jordan, let's. Let's talk players. Um, not like not in a deep sense. Like we're not going to talk Dante DiVincenzo again. You'll be relieved to hear. On Thursday, we have the All-Star Reserves being announced. Giannis has again been named as an All-Star starter, his sixth All-Star appearance. Are you expecting for him to have any company in the All-Star game? In Cleveland this year. Yes. I am going to go out on a limb then and say you're expecting Drew Holiday to get his second all-star appearance. <laughs> You'd be correct. Why do you think Drew's going to actually get the nod? 
Um, I think they're one. I think he's let's let's go with the numbers. <laughs> um, what numbers one, you want? I, let's see. Let's just let's. I've I've got the numbers. I've got lots of numbers. My screen is just filled with numbers. Are you are you Ben Affleck in the account right now? I love that. That's where you go, as opposed to like Rain Man or like nope. the Zach Alfianakis Hangover thing. <laughs> but sure, if if that's what you like. So what what Drew numbers are you looking for? Um, I mean, just let's. What is he averaging right now? Let's do it. He's averaging seventeen point eight points per game, um, to go along with six point six rebounds, four points. Sorry, 6.6 assists, 4.7 rebounds, 1.5 steals per game. His shooting splits are 49.3 for the field, 38.1 from deep, 75.5 from the free throw line. Um, is there, are you requesting any advanced numbers here? Is this, do, you wanna, do you wanna round out the case? Let's do advanced. Let's do it. Okay, well. Uh, he has uh, a net rating of 8.6. So the books with Drew Holiday on the floor, that's scoring opponents by 8.6 points per 100 possessions, which excluding uh, Javin Delorier, which I think we should do for this exercise, um, is the third best mark on the books behind George Hill and Wesley Matthews. Um, 57.5 true shooting percentage, very solid, very kind of steady and reliable. And a high usage, but still settling in at third on the team. 23.5 is his usage rate. Um, Chris is at 25.9, Yance at 34.7. Which I think is an interesting stat to stop the numbers on because he's kind of still, he's in a third star role, but he is undoubtedly performing as the second star of the season. Yeah, and obviously, so that was elevated without Giannis, without Chris. Um, I don't know. Like, if you look at his numbers last year, there's some aspects to it where you'd say, "Oh, he was maybe having a better season last year." But I just think there's he's he the way he's just been playing lately, and I mean all season, obviously, he just he plays at his own pace. There's just nothing that like I could describe it other than he just plays like Drew Holiday, which is his name. And that's who he is. Um, <laughs> it just went full purred happily for everybody. Um, but like, I just, I, there's just something about it where I'm just like, what he does is so compl- It's not, I don't think it's like incredibly unique in the history of the NBA or even maybe um, some players that are playing now, like in this era, but he is just very as defined of a player. And I do think year two of being walk year two of playing alongside Giannis, Chris playing under bud playing in the system. He just feels a lot more comfortable and just kind of, you know, he just reads the game so well and knows when to pick his spots in terms of when to score, when to kind of attack inside. I mean, his I could go on and on and just how good he is. <laughs> um, 
But I just, I do think if we're going to talk narrative, I do think winning championship, certainly the Olympics play a factor where he comes in and, you know, really kind of not bandage that team together, but like certainly put everything together in a way that like they could avoid, you know, the worst case scenario happening. Um, I just think he's having this kind of glow up that, you know, it's finally, it's not about, oh, he's so underrated. He's so underappreciated, all that stuff. It's like, no, he's rightly getting his flowers and, you know, an all-star appearance there an all defensive nod here and there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think this is, you know, his late career has just blossomed in to a way of, just because he's played with the Bucks, he's won a title, all that stuff. I think that's all going to play into him getting an all-star nod. Yeah, I think he's probably got the bit of added momentum with coaches. And just, I, I think there's also a sense of, oh, he's got one all-star, and that was so long ago. And it's, yeah. it's the version of him that isn't the player that anyone will remember. That was... He, like, he was in Philly. Um it and was, it's, it was a weird Philly year, too. It's that eight seed Philly team with Elton Brown. No, it was the, it? they missed the playoffs that year. Oh, so it was the year after that, the year before that. Yep. Um, Doug Collins yeah, was their coach. He was. Um, it, it, the narrative just does seem right. And even with the, the boost of the championship, and I mean, what everyone saw him do defensively in the playoffs. And then. He goes, and uh, we've probably even forgotten some of it now, but just in terms of his reputation, like, was great at the Olympics. Like, was a guy who obviously arrived last minute, and I don't know to what extent he was in Pop's plans to begin with. And then within the first game, like, they found themselves having to go to him because he's one of the few guys who was defending, (laughs) who was basically able to score in pretty significant kind of supporting role uh, capacity. And I I think all of that has just kind of somewhat rewritten the idea people have of Drew Holiday, where he is now like, this is true of the other book, I guess, who could be even somewhat in this conversation where it's like people just talk about him being overrated for so long that you're like, okay, well, is he? But I, I do think Drew Holiday's, resume is certainly not reflective of what people have thought of him throughout his career so kind of like a you know it's time oscar i I do think there will be some some good feeling and i i think he's just a player that we've heard it from other players like we've heard kevin durant talk about it and that obviously extends to coaches and assistant coaches too and a lot of like a lot of head coaches give their assistant coaches this ballot to fill out too and there's a lot of respect for what he does, how he goes about his business. That, yeah, I, I would say it's it's a very good chance. I, I don't know if I'm quite as confident as you, just in part because of like where the books are at. Uh, I, I think that's that's tricky, and I, I do think I there's, also... there's probably a level of bulls recognition that's going to kick in in the reserves. I mean, who else? I mean, I I know uh, 
it got lost in the Andrew Wiggins All Star Starter conversation, but positional position still rings true in this case. Like there, there was a two back court and three front court, or, or is, am I mixing that up? Uh, that's a good question. That was at least for the starters. So yeah, so you've got eight reserves, but I, is it four and four? Like I don't, I don't know what way they. I don't know if they divide in that way, but like, so you think Levine, um, is Jimmy Butler a guard? Probably not. He's more of a forward. Um, but see that that conversation, how people decide to come down on that, is gonna define and decide whether there is a spot for Drew or not as people work down their ballot. Yeah. Who else, like LaMelo like, Ball? Honestly, Trey Young being a starter does not help this because, like, with the Hawks being as bad as they are, I, I think that's a really – it's a really tough one. I don't know if he if he didn't make the starting team, as good as he is individually, a lot of stuff he did, I don't know if he makes it. For some coaches, I mean, it, it's it's really hard to predict this, but uh, I do think that then the winning point guards are not being rewarded in the starting lineup. There's just also not a lot of all-star worthy point guards. It's true. In the East, more so. Because, like, you run down the standings. Well, okay. I, I, I think Darius Garland as a guard is yes. going to be – yeah, for he, sure in the mix too. And absolutely. Like if he gets other in, than that, which he probably deserves to though, is Drew gonna get in? Other than that, like Kyle Lowry's not gonna get it. Zach Levine's not a point guard, but he'll be in the garden. He's gonna he'll be an all-star. He'll be an all-star. Brooklyn can't point out anybody because you know they're who they thought was gonna be their point guard is playing half their games. Do you don't think Harden's um, gonna be an all-star? I forgot that he's actually not. I think, see, this is what I'm saying. I don't, I, I think it gets pretty tough pretty quickly. And maybe Drew, like, if it comes down to Drew and Darius Garland, I don't think that's fair on Garland, but Drew might get the nod for being this guy won a championship, this one, a guy won a gold medal. He takes on like the toughest defensive assignments. You know, he might get that kind of boost. Um, but uh, it very quickly is going to get tight for, for spaces there. Yeah, yeah, you're I, the point that you're making with Beyond kind of it that throws a it throws a little bit of a wrench. It does. Yeah, I I don't know. I still I th- I still think it tilts. I was actually I was surprised by how like how much conviction you had in the yes when I asked you if they were gonna have another all star. I just I cannot and... I don't know I could not understand if they got if they didn't have another all-star well we've we've seen that in very good years before like chris the years when chris should have got it and he didn't um i I guess the extension of this is he gonna get this year then no i don't think so chris's numbers are surprising when you look at them because it does not feel like he is just under 20 points per game um but he is and his shooting percentages are fine to good and he's in a kind of a range, a pretty heady range when it comes to a guy who can get over five rebounds and five assists. 
again, he's someone with a lot of kind of respect, again, around coaches. And he also, you know, the things we talked about, Drew, Chris was also not a central part, but he was on that Olympic team. He won a yep. gold medal. Um, he made key shots as the books won a championship. Like, I, I would have no hesitation in saying this should be Drew if the books are going to get a second All-Star. But that's also applying logic to All-Star selections that doesn't necessarily always apply. Yeah, I mean, I have always viewed the reserves votes or the coaching, the coaches that vote for the reserves. There's actually just one other thing I should add here. Kevin Durant is not going to be playing in this game. No. So there's actually nine spots open in the yeah, Eastern Conference. The injury replacement. And James Harden might just, uh, I'm not saying that his hand injury is fake, but it's like, oh, okay. All this stuff is coming out. Like, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> what are you saying? Everything's, everything's going great in Brooklyn. It's not reporting. So it's like, I don't know. <laughs> you tell them. Uh, so know. it is reporting. Okay. Jordan Tresky reports. Of uh, Substack. James Harden's <laughs> James Harden's hand injury is fake. You heard it here first. <laughs> Plays with a fake hand. Um, um, <laughs> no. Uh, what was my point? Oh, no. I've always viewed coaches voting for the reserves as like the security blanket. For yeah, you. they're, they're oh. kind of like the actual all-stars usually, but it's not... Yeah. Sanity prevailed in some cases. Yeah, it's not. It's not all. They don't always get it right. I mean, they didn't give Zaza his oh his God. one when he didn't make the fan vote. Should have made it that year with the Mavericks. He was. He's I was just about to swear. I was going to say he's incredible. Is that who the books need? You know, uh, swing a deal with the the Warriors, literally with the Warriors front office for a for a backup big. I was gonna. I will, we'll keep going. All right, not quite as um, as close on the horizon, but uh, to wrap up, and obviously we saw Jokic in the past week. Uh, this is shaping up to be the closest MVP race, the most open MVP race I can remember in quite some time. Um, maybe it's not as close in the terms of like. Some of the Yanis, like the Yanis Harden one that we went through. What year was that? Uh, 2018-19. Yeah, I was going to say three years ago. Now. Um, maybe it's not as close in terms of two players. Like, that was not a whole lot between those two, but they were so separated from the field. I think the thing interesting this year is there's no separation in the field. And even if you look at current odds... It's really a toss-up, and anyone can come and kind of grab this over the final few months of the season. Giannis is right in the middle of that pack, I would say, a pack that also includes Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Steph Curry. John Morant is, is closing. I say, John Morant is probably... Odds-wise, big. he's just behind that, but that gap is closing, and then you could have something that is kind of like a five-man toss-up for who's going to get it. What are your feelings on the MVP race and on Giannis's place in it? I ask this as someone who does have a vested interest because I did place a preseason bet That's on Giannis right. to be MVP. And, you know, That's it's right. been looking pretty good as other people. You know, as Kevin Durant, his odds were very short and all of a sudden injury comes along and he's out of there. And it's like, 
even Steph Curry, it looked really strong for Steph at one point. That's eased off a little bit and other people have come to the fore, but I don't know. It's to me, I would right now I would say Joel Embiid is oh. absolutely surging. And he has a distinct advantage over Giannis and Steph and Jokic because he has not won it before. And they love a narrative to give it to someone who has not won it before. Yeah, if they, I mean, if they finish the first seed of the East, Sixers, I should clarify. It's hard not to give it to Embiid. Um, meanwhile, we're not even talking about the best team statistically, record-wise. Suns are the best team. The fact that they have Devin Booker and Chris Ball, this, you know, all-star backcourt, um, kind of well, in a weird way. They actually have zero all-stars as we speak, right? But just making the point, as, as we speak, they're not all-stars. They will be, I'm sure, on Thursday. But well, Suns definitely... His way in there and be like, I'm a Western all-star now. Imagine if the Suns were like the Heat. Imagine like the noise they'd be making about all of this. Like if they just, if they carried themselves like that. I, I respect the Suns. I like that they're not like that. Uh, but just imagine if... I mean, the Heat are probably there's probably a whole lot of that with the Heat being the second seed as is. So, oh yeah, Tyler Hero, most improved player. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, oh yeah, weirdly enough, Booker and Paul kind of cancel each other out because mm-hmm. you're gonna be hard. It's hard to discern. <laughs> You've got a one A and a one B. Yeah. Um. Where Giannis is in this, I mean, it's all going to be dictated by are the good, the Bucks could be good. Are they going to be, you know, are they going to turn it on and kind of, for lack of a better phrase, flip the switch that could boost Giannis's MVP case? We'll see. Um, I mean, he has been just flat out incredible as he usually is, but even it feels even more so um, lately. I, I One thing I will say here, because I've made this prediction as a bold prediction on a, a preseason crossover pod we did, and I got very strange looks. I said, I think Giannis could win the scoring title this year. And he's not far off. He's 0.5 points per game off Kevin Durant right now. I don't know actually what the games played requirement is for that. Um, and obviously we don't know exactly how long Durant will be out for and how all that plays out. But there's only 0.3 separating him and LeBron and Embiid. He's currently fourth. And I think that is also something to note, just if the closer Giannis gets to that, the more he's going to factor into the very kind of top end of MVP. And he's scoring easier than he's ever scored. Yes. Very much so. Um, and yeah, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, Embiid is Philly's been one of the best teams since the new year, probably even day back to before that, too. Um, the Grizzlies, as we talked about maybe a couple of weeks ago at this point now, have been really good. John Morant's, I don't think he has the top end numbers that could kind of rival Embiid 
Jokic, Giannis, even Steph, if you kind of, if the Warriors kind of figure it out again. Um, but that's certainly in the mix. Like, it is a very interesting MVP race. But didn't Russell Westbrook win it when the Thunder were like a fifth seed? Yeah, they're 46 36. Like, the Grizzlies right now are 35 and 18. <laughs> and he is driving them. And they're ahead of schedule because of him, not purely because of him. They've got other good young players who are certainly doing their share of it too. But he he probably should be much closer to the front of this race than he is. I find it a little bit weird. Um, I guess this is what happens when you're in Memphis, much the same as it probably took Giannis a year to two years beyond where he really should have started to be in the conversation for this award, if not win it, before that happened and it, it felt like the first year where he was really in the conversation that he won it because it was already like the league was playing catch up on just recognizing just how great he'd become yeah and it, it feels like with Jamarant we're, we're heading towards something like that where like it may not be this year you may not get as close as he should this year but next year the year after that he could be like a runaway winner on it and everyone's just gonna be like yeah well why isn't this guy woman before yeah I I, I I quite like Giannis's chances. I I I do wonder what the books do and uh, like how Brooke all of that pans out, like what impact that will have for better or worse. Um, but I, I do think if they could just find some sort of it's not even an extra gear, but if they could just be a little bit more into it, I think his numbers night to night will be better, and I think the books record could like uptake really dramatically and in a hurry like they're they're not far away right now every time i watch them i'm like this team isn't very good but you can see they're a good team if that makes any sense like yeah. I, I i don't think it would take much for them in terms of their approach or in terms of personnel to all of a sudden be like oh look it's the books it's the it's the defending champions and they're best positioned to go and Put up a really strong defense this again and if anything like that happens i think he's in with a great chance and there's also there will be a thing later in the season he's actually going to benefit from something that like he almost got punished for when he won back to back which is he didn't win it last year and he was great last year and they won the championship so there's going to be no stigma there's going to be nothing outside of regular season narrative wise that you can hold against him and i think there will be a moment where it's like look at these numbers, look at these highlights. Are we not recognizing how good Giannis has been this year? And that could also, it could play to his advantage. We'll see. I am, I'm curious to see how it plays out, but I, I do think he's in a very, very good position, but it's, it's one of those things where MVP by the end of the season, it can usually be quite dull and tedious where I actually think with multiple players having a chance and with the way even the standings are set up, it could be an interesting uh, conversation in the months ahead. Yep. Agreed. All right, Jordan. Got anything else? Any final thoughts you've got? But I mean, one thing we didn't mention here, books play the Wizards uh, tonight, I think, as we record yep. this. And then they've got a four-game trip out west. Uh Formerly a trip that used to kill the books, you know, um, trips to uh, 
Alcatraz and other places. We'll just slip, put it as didn't necessarily always Ace serve of diamonds. That was the name. Yeah. Um, Google it if you want. Be <laughs> careful where and when, but that's if you don't get the reference, you can Google it. This trip hasn't always been kind to the books, but in spite of them not playing all that well, it's not striking complete and utter terror into my heart looking at it. I mean, it will be very interesting to see how they go against the Suns when they get there. It'd be nice to see them start to play a little bit better before now the that. trade deadline day. Does any reinforcements join the Bucks out in Phoenix? They could be without like five guys. You know, they could be they could be down bare, bare bones because of the blockbuster trades that have been pulled off. Yeah. Devin Booker goes to the paint. Holiday rips it away. Giannis is streaking down the court. You're speaking what? everyone's language now. Wait, what? What? <laughs> We've got that to look forward to. Um, we'll be back to you all very soon. You may, I know you don't hear from us twice in a week very often, but you may hear from us again later this week. So make sure you subscribe to the Eurostep Podcast Network feed wherever you get your podcast or gspn.substack.com. Keep your eyes peeled and that way you you will get some uh, some more GSPN content for sure as the week rolls on. Until then, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.